For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with, even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Okay, um, so welcome everyone from, um, I see people from California and um, Israel and Italy and um, Eileen, are you still in Massachusetts? Great, in Massachusetts and Pittsburgh and anyway, and of course, Chicago uh, and environs and Indiana. Anyway, welcome everyone, wherever you are. Um, Today I'm going to talk about a line from a Dogen essay. This morning I'm going to talk about how to, um, how one returns oneself to the mountains, rivers, and the great earth. So this is from an essay by Dogen, Kese Sanshoku, the sounds of the valleys, the shapes of the mountain. And um, this is about uh, an 8th century master named Changsha. When return the mountains, rivers, and the great earth to oneself, Changsha responded, how does one return oneself to the mountains, rivers, and the great earth? So that's the question. And that's actually... um, uh, part of a seminar I'm going to be doing this afternoon from 1 to 4.30 Chicago time on Dogen's environmental teachings um, and how, they re- how he links them to devotional practice. Uh, so uh, I'm going to talk this morning about materials that are tangential to that. Um, but um, this is a question about the relationship of humans to our world. So, um, well, I could start with the Genjo Koan, which is not one of the Shobo Genzo essays I'm going to talk about this afternoon. But in that, Dogen um, talks about how, uh, well, if, if one's out in the middle of Lake Michigan, one cannot see any of the shoreline. Uh, of course, Dogen doesn't mention Lake Michigan. He lived in Japan in the 1200s. But anyway, uh, out in the middle of a body of water, it, it looks circular because we don't see the details of the shoreline. So this question about our relationship to our planet has to do with a lot, a lot with um, the limitations of human uh, awareness and consciousness. So uh, he also, Dokken also talks about how different beings see water differently. Humans see water one way, 
fish, see water another way. Um, he says, uh, hungry ghosts see water as pus, and that's kind of disgusting, poor creatures. And dragons see water yet another way, as some of us know. So um, what is our relationship to um, the planet and all the beings on the planet? And part of this is uh, is our inflated ideal of uh, human intelligence. So humans, you know, can build skyscrapers and can write books and can do all kinds of things, build things, build airplanes and rocket ships and do brain surgery and so forth. Uh, so we tend to think that we are the superior beings in our world. And this is supported by the Abrahamic religions. And of course, I must, as a disclaimer, there are uh, fine spiritual teachings in Islam and Judaism and Christianity. And yet uh, they're more geared towards human beings. Human beings have dominion over the environment. We're obviously the superior creature on earth. We, uh, We have... Uh, language and uh, well, maybe because of our opposable thumbs, we can build uh, temples and skyscrapers and so forth. However, um, from the point of view of um, not just Dogen, but uh, I would say uh, Chinese Buddhism, some of Chinese Buddhism, even before Chan and Zen. Um, The planet is alive. Reality has consciousness. Um, And specific examples. um, It's been demonstrated now that octopuses uh, are very intelligent. Um, Unfortunately for them, they only live about a year or so. But uh, I recommend a film, a documentary called My Octopus Teacher about uh, a human type person who was uh, who uh, got to be friends with an octopus. He lives in South Africa. This guy and a wonderful film. I recommend it. Octopuses have you know have uh, can communicate, can um, problem solve, can use tools, can do all kinds of things that we think of that we might think of as intelligent. So I'm going to try and keep this this talk short because I want to have a discussion. But um, you know, there's various ways of thinking about all of this um, from the point of view of Cheyenne peoples who lived in the plains of North America before uh, European invaders. Uh, rocks have intelligence. And what does that mean for rocks to have intelligence? Uh, so... Um, you know, if you go to any of the Japanese Zen gardens, which I've talked about in, in uh, all throughout Japan, but I got to know them very well when I lived in Kyoto for a couple of years, you know, you, you see some rocks and you can see they've been through some things. <laughs> uh, they, they uh, you know, there's something going on. Um, so I mentioned uh, the movie My Octopus Teacher, which I highly recommend. I want to recommend another movie. Uh, called Fantastic Fungi. 
like which I saw this week. I don't know if anybody else has seen it. It's now, yeah, uh, here's um, over there in Italy, raised his hand. Um, yeah, it's um, now one of my favorite movies. Maybe along with Casablanca and The Big Lebowski. Um, so uh, Fantastic Fungi talks about uh, funguses. Fungi, I guess, is the, how you say the plural, uh, which are everywhere on our world. They're, they're part of the mold that breaks down uh, dead things and, and does something creative with, with them. They're our disposal system. They are, of course, in our body. They're bacteria. Penicillin came from fungi, uh, so they're medicinal. They're also um, part of the mycorrhizal, which is a word related to fungi, um, Uh, the, myc- the mycorrhizal undergrowth of forests. So it turns out there's a network of fungi underneath forests. Uh, maybe, I don't know if the people who, who the Huayen, the great Avatamsaka teachers who, who uh, talked about Indra's net, and the, which we talk about in Buddhism and how everything is interconnected, if they knew about this. But at any rate, it's, an, it's uh, another version of in- Indra's net this mycorrhizal network. So underneath forests, there are these webs of uh, tendrils of of, uh, fungi and uh, uh, trees in the forest use them to communicate. So forests are intelligent. They're an intelligent biosystem. It's it's very clear now, uh, scientifically. Um, So through these mycorrhizal networks, trees can warn other trees of danger. Even trees who are not the same species as them. Uh, So, um, uh, yeah, uh, and, and, and actually trees can share nutrients with other trees through this undergrowth. So uh, this is again, a, a model of Indra's net, which is, for those who haven't heard of Indra's net, this is also in the Flower Ornament Sutra, and it, um, the, the teaching is that the universe, our world, all worlds, is a, net, uh, is a network. And at every place where, there's a, where the nets meet, uh, uh, there's a, a, a jewel. And each of those jewels reflect all the jewels around them. And the light from those jewels and all of those jewels reflect the light from the jewels around them and so forth forever. So it's a, it's a model of how it's a holographic model of how everything is connected. And so uh, through mycorrhizal networks, forests are connected and the trees in the forest are connected. Um, We now know through um, thanks to this pandemic, which has been, it's over 700,000 people in, United States who are now dead uh, didn't need to be that many at all. But, um, but we also know, just looking at, the, at your screen, that we are very connected to people in Massachusetts and Italy and Israel and Indiana even and Massachusetts. Sorry, Nicholas, I didn't mean to put down Indiana. Um, um, 
and California. Hi, Paul. Uh, so um, anyway, we're all connected. This, we knew that uh, theoretically, but now we see it. Oh, and I left out Deborah in Pittsburgh. Okay. Anyway, um, we're dynamically connected, and through the through the COVID pandemic, we're connected with everyone because. Uh, we are not going to be finished with this pandemic until everybody is vaccinated and not just everybody in the you know, United States, Southern states, but everybody in India and Africa and South America where the pharmaceutical companies are, are not sharing their knowledge of, of, of how to make this vaccine, which could be made elsewhere. Anyway, uh, we're connected. Everybody's interconnected. We know that now on so many ways. And this, uh, these fantastic fungi, this mycorrhizal network that's in everything, um, is part of that. Um, so um, there's so much to say uh, about all this, but I'm going to keep it short. Um, again, uh, humans think that we are the crown of creation. We are the most intelligent, the most skillful, and thanks to our... Uh, thinking that we uh, have a right to, because of our intelligence or whatever, we have a right to plunder and take it and, and the, uh, all the stuff that's in, all the resources that are in, in the earth on our planet and cut down forests and so forth. Uh, now we're facing, uh, there's mass extinction of many species and there's this climate calamity that's uh, happening. How do we connect, how do we uh, return ourselves to the mountains and rivers and great earth? How do we bring ourselves back into this network of everything? And, uh, of course, um, you know, we, the, 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 uh, the climate is being uh, damaged. The world is being damaged by human so-called intellect, by human greed and materialism. And we all have a part of that. But of course, the fossil fuel companies that are making billions uh, off of all of off, off of the climate d- destruction and spend lots of money lobbying Congress people to uh, keep giving them subsidies. You know, uh, there's a particular responsibility there. Anyway, uh, there's so much to say about all this. But um, another part of the Fantastic Fungi, and it's in this film that I recommend, the Fantastic Fungi, is um, available, I think, on Netflix. Anyway, um, uh, is that uh, fungi, along with everything else they do, are also the source of uh, psychoactive substances that can be medicinal. So there was um, uh, oh, oh, other things that fungi can do, which is really which were in the film and is really encouraging. They can break down oil, so they may be part of how we save the planet from uh, climate uh, destruction because uh, they can actually break down oil. So there are some fungi that can actually break down oil and turn it to carbon. Um, so, um, anyway, there's so much in this film, but also, uh, part of fungi is mushrooms 
And some mushrooms uh, make you taller and some mushrooms make you small. And anyway, the, there are uh, poisonous mushrooms that'll kill you. And there are also psychoactive, psychedelic mushrooms like psilocybin that um, were being researched by psychologists. Uh, we have psychologists on our Zoom page now. Uh, there, there are mushrooms that... Um, like psilocybin and others that are psychoactive. And there was a lot of research being done by psychologists um, in the 60s uh, and that demonstrated that these, uh, that showed scientifically that these substances have can have a positive medicinal effect, can help with things like Alzheimer's, can help with um, various uh, psychological distress. Uh, that this, that research into psilocybin and other um, psychoactive fungi and unrelated t- uh, material was um, shut down in 1970 when uh, President Richard Nixon declared a war on drugs. And um, that research is now starting, I think it said 1999, 1997. Their research is resuming and they're finding out wonderful things about how uh, some of these psychoactive substances actually help, um, can help with depression, can help with Alzheimer's and various things. So, um, and of course, the, the war on drugs we now know was a totally racist enterprise. Uh, White people smoking joints weren't arrested, but uh, black people with any with uh, uh, any amount of marijuana were fed into the mass incarceration system, which we now have. Uh, so um, there's so many different aspects of this, and ha- and all of this relates to our relationship to our world. How do we return ourselves to the mountains, rivers, and great earth? So. Um, yeah. Um, so going a little further, um, I was, I wanted to uh, confess something or share something. Uh, so sometimes people have asked me, uh, Eve is just joining us. I don't know if you can hear, hear me, Eve, but uh, uh, some people have asked me how I came to Buddhist practice. And that was a long, long time ago. And I've given various answers. I've talked, I've said Vietnam. And that certainly was one part of it. And I said that my uh, viewing uh, Japanese Buddhist sculpture in Kyoto and Nara and elsewhere in Japan uh, inspired that. I did a talk about that um, a couple of months ago, I think. You can look on on the uh, podcast for Unkei, U-N-K-E-I, wonderful, wonderful Japanese Buddhist uh, sculptor, uh, statue maker, Buddha maker, um, called considered by all Japanese as the Japanese Michelangelo. But all of you Western Buddhists probably haven't heard of him until you, at least until you heard my talk, which includes pictures. Anyway, another answer I could give to how I came to Buddhism has to do with fantastic fungi, because from Oh, I don't know, 1967 till uh, maybe till the Nixon's war on drugs. I, uh, along with many other things, I was involved 
involved in an exhaustive experiential study of the psychedelic experience. And I'm not recommending drugs to anybody, but I don't regret any of it, um, of, of my own experience of that. And it's uh, true that uh, um, people who came to Zen, many of the people who came to Zen in the 60s and early 70s had experience of psychedelics. And uh, in the same way that neuro- neuroscientists are now sh- seeing that Sazen sh- actually changes how the brain works, changes different parts of the brain, they also have, have studied, and now in, in more recent studies of uh, uh, fantastic fungi, psilocybin, that, that similar things happen when you take those substances. Now, I, I, again, I'm not recommending anybody do that. I don't think it, it's necessary. If you're doing Zazen, you don't need to, to uh, take psilocybin, I would say. But I don't regret having done it myself. Um, part of all of this is to open up our consciousness to the fact that humans are not the only conscious beings, not the only intelligent beings on our planet, as I've been talking about. Octopuses, uh, forests themselves, uh, many, many other creatures uh, that we think we have, we should be able to do whatever we want with because we're human beings. Um, you, you know. Um, anyway, intelligence is our, our form of intelligence is wonderful, of course. I'm not putting down intelligence or rationality or language or, or, or tool using, but we, when we realize interdependence, we should uh, respect all the other intelligent beings on our planet instead of you know, trying to use them for our own selfish purposes. So... Um, uh, how do we go beyond our ideas of self? That's another way to, to talk about this. How do we get beyond our our own personal notion of uh, me and mine and all of the material stuff that we want to collect? So, um, so I've been talking about this uh, mycorrhizal network that under forests, which uh, feeds uh, uh, the intelligence of forests. And plant, we, know, we know a lot more now about plant intelligence generally, that there's a form of intelligence that plants have. This goes back in, in Buddhism, in Buddhist teaching. Uh, Dogen talks about this in various ways, but also um, before Dogen in China, in some of Chinese Buddhism, Buddhism, there was a discussion of this. They talked about it in terms of Buddha nature and, you know, do even dogs have Buddha nature? But actually, uh, there was a sense of uh, plants having awareness. This is at one division, by the way, of most of Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, which does not think that plants are sentient beings, and at least a lot of East Asian Buddhism, not just Zen, that sees uh, consciousness and awareness in, in uh, uh, many things, plants. And, and Dogen takes that further. And, and actually some of Dogen's predecessors in China talked about the uh, Buddha awareness of reality itself. So this is getting down to it. Uh, not just elements of our planet, but reality itself has awareness. 
as consciousness, as intelligence, uh, in, if, you know, if you define intelligence not only in terms of human intelligence. <laughs> um, so um, the last part of this I want to mention, two, two more things. One is that uh, I know some of, some of the people in the Sangha, at least a couple people in our Sangha, have, uh, are, are fans of Star Trek. Uh, maybe more, I don't know. Um, uh, Ruben is smiling, uh, and, and so is Eileen. Anyway, uh, there was a most recent series that was called Star Trek Discovery. And they had a, uh, in, in Star Trek Discovery, there was a uh, beyond warp speed way of traveling throughout the um, universe that was based on... Um, Spore drive, and the engineer of the Starship Discovery in Star Trek was named Paul Stamets, and Paul Stamets happens to be uh, one of the stars of the movie I'm recommending, Fantastic Fungi. He is a, 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 st- a student and promoter of uh, the awareness of fungi and mushrooms, and he's a mycologist, which is I think what they call uh, people who study mushrooms. And um, anyway, so they took his name, the engineer who, who developed the spore drive for the star, Starship Discovery that allowed them to travel from all kinds of, and because everything is really interconnected, according to this idea and this, <laughs> this Star Trek television show, that one can travel Across the universe, anyway, they, he, he harnessed this into a spore drive. So um, anyway, that's, um, I think I've said all the things I wanted to say, um, just talking about, again, the intelligence of other beings besides our, besides our self-centered human beings and how that affects what, how we are damaging our world but also how that can be resolved through awareness of, of uh, interconnectedness and other forms of intelligence and through these fantastic fungi that can, uh, as I was saying, break down oil and oil spills. Um, so again, that, that I found this fantastic fungi film of uh, very inspiring um, and it matches my own experience from a long time ago when I was involved in those substances, as I said. So um, I mentioned at the beginning that this talk is uh, related to, but tangential to, um, the seminar I'm doing this afternoon from 1 to 4.30 Chicago time on Dogen's Keisei Sanshoku essay and, and, and uh, a number of Dogen's um, teachings about the environment and how he connects them to devotional practice. So how is our zazen practice, our rituals and ceremonies, how is that, uh, um, how is that faith practice based on this environmental awareness or connected to this environmental awareness? So uh, according to the announcement, uh, yesterday was the last day to sign up for um, the seminar this afternoon. However, uh, as a special dispensation and possibly to the consternation of some of the people organizing it, 
any of you, I know several of you are, are already signed up for it, but anybody else who would like to attend that uh, uh, seminar uh, this afternoon that I'm doing, uh, there is some donation re- requested, but you can sign up on the Ancient Dragon website. So um, that was a lot. <laughs> um, but I want to hear your responses. Uh, and Jerry, uh, sorry, you have to go. Bye-bye. Um, so anyone who uh, has any comments, questions, responses, uh, please feel free. And uh, Emily and maybe David, you can, you can uh, call on people. And if, you, uh, if we can't see you, you can go to the participants window and there's a raise hand function there. So, any comments? Uh, Nyozan has been wanting to speak. Um, can you hear me? I've been yes. having trouble yes. with this. Um, thank you, Taigan. Just to uh, follow up on some of the things you mentioned, um, I can recommend a couple of really wonderful things to read. One called Entangled Life which is by a scientist named um, uh, Merlin Sheldrake. Um, and this is basically a, uh, a, a very, very rigorous look at the way the various roles of, of fungi. It, it's, it's like taking that, the, the film that you mentioned and, and just really following up on every point. It's really wonderful. He happens to be the son of a guy named Sheldon, um, I always want to say Mandrake, but it's <laughs> Sheldrake. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake is his yes. father, Rupert Sheldrake. And Rupert Sheldrake is kind of a renegade uh, scientist in some ways, who if people remember from 1980, uh, the whole harmonic convergence thing. Um, that was sort of, he was the guy behind that. And he was propounding precisely this idea of sort of panpsychism, this idea that every thing has awareness and intelligence. And then finally, I will mention, um, uh, for those who don't know it, Michael Pollan, who's another of the people who was featured in this film, uh, Fantastic Fungi, and is known mainly as a, as a food uh, kind of guy, um, wrote a book recently, a few years back, called How to Change Your Mind, that takes is a very careful historical look at the fate of research into sort of medicinal medicinal plants and so on, their suppression and sort of an update on its reemergence. Um, that's, that's really very good. He's got a more recent one. This is your mind on plants, which I've not read, but further develops this. So I'd recommend any of these to anybody to kind of, and of course, Dogen, you know, start with Dogen and follow up with these guys for dessert. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nyozan. Yes, um, so Michael Pollan is featured prominently in um, the movie I mentioned, Fantastic Fungi, or Fungi, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, Michael Pollan's, uh, uh, what, there's a book called The Botany of, uh, anyway, his, his books are very good. The, the Botany of Desire. Yes, yeah, wonderful book, I've read that. Um, in addition to Michael Pollan, somebody else who's featured in the Fantastic Fungi movie is Suzanne Samard, who I'd heard about because she's done a lot of the research into um, forest intelligence and the and the net the mycorrhizal network under under 
forests by which trees and forests communicate. Um, I think her work is the basis for a book that I haven't read yet, but I've heard a lot about called The Overstory, which talks about the aliveness of forests. So, yeah, thank you, Nyosan. Other comments, responses? Deborah? Yeah, I just wanted to correct something. Um, Richard Powers wrote Overstory, which oh. is a novel about trees. But I wanted to also recommend, there's this, it's called The Enchanted Life of Trees, and it was written by a German arborist who observed trees for 40 years. It's his first can, you know, his firsthand observation of this interconnectedness and the actual observing of the root systems that extend throughout a massive forest and how trees help to take care of each other if one becomes ill or damaged. I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I didn't mean that Suzanne Samard wrote the overstory, but her her research is part of the background that's used in it. Um, yeah, and I think there's she wrote another book that came out recently that yes. people have mentioned along with the one that Deborah just mentioned. Yeah. So this is really, you know, and, and of course, it's relevant to Dogen, um, definitely, and to aspects of East Asian Buddhism, but um, before Dogen and, and after Dogen. But yes, this is a different way of <laughs> seeing our reality. And uh, it's, it's, I think, something that's very helpful in terms of our stopping to just exploit and destroy our planet and the other beings on who share it. Eileen has her hand up. Eileen, thank you. It's my little yellow hand. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm sitting here, not not in my usual kind of spot. I am sitting here with the trees. There's a river. Oh, why not? Here, can you, anybody see the river? There's a river, <laughs> and yes, something of a mountain behind me. Um, and I and I sat on this wooden platform. Of, oh, it was really hard to find a spot next to the river. I was determined to do this next to the river. Um, and I had uh, finally did find a spot. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I won't I won't I won't go into all that. But I found the spot and I managed to sit on the wooden platform. Um, but you know, I have I have a lot of trouble keeping my eyes open. I often meditate without keeping my eyes open because when I open them, there's such a hit of of information that it can be unbearable. Uh, Lately, I've had a little more success and it's been a little less unbearable. Now my mind wants to go sleepy when I open my eyes. But but there's no way, and I'm listening to the river and listening to the traffic and it's all, it's all right there. It's all right here. I mean, I actually, Deborah, I read both of those books and they're both amazing. Um, and, um, and I think once you allow, once I allow this kind of thing into my consciousness, then you just keep seeing, um, this planet, not to get on my, my little soapbox, but I will, this planet is, we're not part, we're not on this planet. We're part of this planet. And I and I don't even I don't think that's philosophical. If you were, you know, flying around, you're alien. No more Martians, right? We can't say that anymore. If you were, but okay, if you were aliens and you were looking down, you don't say, "Oh, look at those people on top of the planet." <laughs> um, we're all we're all very very interrelated. Um, 
I'm sorry, this is a little fragment. I'm going to get all my little thoughts out on this. But the other thing is a, was a, something that bothered me. I was raised a secular Jew, um, and, I, and I got Eastern religion by being a teenager in the 70s, where it was sort of in the air. You couldn't help but breathe it in. Um, but but this, this word, dominion, always really bugged me. And um, I, I had the opportunity to talk to a scholar who's a, a minister, a, a Protestant minister who's also a, a scholar. And he says, well, there's a lot of, and I said, this is not obviously the, the original word. There was probably Hebrew, right? The word dominion over the he says, well, there's been a lot of discussion about that. There's no true consensus. He goes, but, but more, more or less the consensus lies around stewardship. And I find all of these little fragments very helpful because I don't see the world the same way anymore. I really don't. Um, I don't see this tree next to me as the same way. Um, I don't feel entirely apart from it, um, energetically speaking. So I think, you know, good old-fashioned, sit your butt down on the cushion and just let your, let your mind open. Um, that's, and then when you move through your daily life, that's, that's with you. Um, of course, we're not going to get <laughs> most of the people in the U.S. to do this, but I think that, that consciousness then feeds out into the world. And hopefully, it's a, it's a few, I don't know, it, it gets out there and something happens. You create a change. As I said, it's very fragmented, but I'm sitting in the middle of that. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. I, yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah, this word stewardship, you know, that's when in the context of um, this aspect of Abrahamic religion where humans have dominion over, you know, the plants and animals and, you know, mountains and rivers and everything, uh, and we can exploit it. You know, a, a, a positive spin on that is stewardship, uh, that, you know, that we have a responsibility to it, but that's still really dualistic and really uh, paternalistic and imperialist, uh, that, you know, we, the earth belongs to us rather than us, than, rather than as you were indicating we are part of the earth. So this is part of what uh, Sazen gradually teaches us. It's part of what these uh, fungi materials can uh, inform us of. Um, yeah, so thank you. Other, other uh, comments, responses, questions? Yes, David Ray. Thanks so much for this. I'm loving this discussion. And thank you for mentioning discovery. Um, my partner, Christopher, is going to be delighted. He has initiated me into that, and he's very excited about the, the, the Paul Stamets character. So we're going to, definitely going to watch Fantastic Fungi soon. Um, I, I, I wonder, um, I wonder if, if, if uh, either Buddhism, the, the Buddhist tradition or some of the references that people are talking about have anything, have anything to say about um, 
the ways that as a, as a human being, I might feel like a plant. I might connect with, with my vegetate, you know, what the ancients called the vegetative soul. You know, I find it easy to, to, to connect with my mammalian nature. That, that seems easy. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I experienced the, the feeling of being in relation with, with plants, like a couple of trees in my life feel like they've been important friends and, there was a, there was a mint plant that, that I, I would, I would thank every, every time I, you know, pulled some mint plants off for my protein shake after working out. But I'm, but I'm, I'm wondering about the possibility of like connecting more with my vegetativeness as a way of entering, entering more into relation with plants. You know, we say like veg on the couch, but I, but I'm not sure that's quite what's, what's meant. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and part of what I'm going to talk about this afternoon is how Dogen turns this way of thinking into uh, ritual devotional practice. Um, uh, so, and how he links it. I don't think one thing that one way you were talking about that, David, was well, our relationship to plants. And I think that might be perhaps a little. Uh, too dualistic. Uh, how Eileen was describing it, I thought was wonderful, just that she's sitting there next to this tree, near this tree, and feeling everything around her. And I think that's maybe more like, um, you know, what, uh, how we can, re- how we can find, you know, they talk about our, uh, we can talk about our reptilian brain, right? So there's that a reptilian part of us, there's a mammalian part of us, but, you know, we are descended from fungi. I mean, funguses are not plants. They're not animals. They're something more basic and older. And, all, and plants and animals emerge from them, and then funguses developed in a third way. So we are part of the earth, part of, um, I mean, no, not part of, yeah, we are, uh, expressions. I would say of the planet, uh, and we were re- return to the planet uh, when there in the in the fantastic fungi movie that it t- shows talks about decay and decomposition and how uh, fungi actually create that, make that, and that supports the uh, the the cycle of. Um, life and death. Anyway, um, it's, you know, I don't, I don't have a specific suggestion, David, but just to feel what it feels like to be, you know, as Eileen was saying, sitting under a tree. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Asian I, and then Eve. Can I just throw one little thing in? Yes, Eileen, uh, please. Because David, so one, another thing that's helped me um, is that, oh, there are a lot of, a lot of teachers now will, say to you know give your give your weight to the cushion we've all heard this give your body to the cushion and then allow the earth to support you and that is that somehow or other seems key to me um, to being a little bit closer to plants i hadn't thought of it before but yeah no i think that's important we sit on the ground you know, when we sit on our cushions or even sitting in a chair that we're supported by the ground, even if we're I'm on, the, on the second floor of a building right now. But um, Buddhism is very, very much an earth religion. When, when Shakyamuni awakened, he touched the earth as witness. 
planting trees was a traditional Chinese Chan practice. Um, in India, before they had, uh, they, they constructed temples and zendos in, in China, but before that, uh, Shakyamuni's disciples and Indian Buddhists would sit under a tree and face the tree rather than facing the wall. We're very, this is, this our, our practice is about grounding. There's, there's many more examples, the underground bodhisattvas and the Lotus Sutra, for example. Anyway, yes, thank you. Um, so, Asian first. Um, thank you. Technically, Eve was ahead of me, but what I have to say pertains directly to what we're talking about in this moment. Um, and I know that my... Um, Wi-Fi coverage keeps coming in and out, so please forgive me if I get broken up. But I was thinking as David was talking about how in um, psychology and psychiatry and probably medicine, we talk about vegetative symptoms, which are um, things like like very basic functions of life. If someone, you know, how's someone eating, sleeping? Um, are they showing physical signs that are beyond, you know, volition or consciousness? And that made me think about... Um, you know, we also, um, you know, we talk about the rept- reptilian brain or, you know, our animal nature. And it just made me think about the ways in which our physical bodies have an intelligence that um, is outside of or goes beyond our consciousness. And so that might, so reflecting on that might be one way that we could get in touch with our vegetative nature. You know, fungi have evolved so that they have these amazing functions that help keep them alive. And part of what um, helps keep them alive helps keep the planet alive. And so, you know, I think that maybe um, some of what we can practice with is just reflecting on, you know, as even, even on our cushions, just observing your breathing and observing the ways in which maybe your breathing changes in response to a feeling that you're having or a thought that you're having. Observe the way maybe your heart starts to pound a little harder when you're experiencing a particular thing on or off your cushion or thinking about a particular thing. There's, there's so much intelligence within our own bodies that we overlook that I think goes along with overlooking that intelligence in the rest of the world. You know, whether we, whether we're thinking about it or not, we're constantly responding to our environment. And, and so I think just a, a nice practice would be, observing the many, many ways in which that happens constantly as, as part of recognizing how um, the world around us is impacting us at, at every moment and we're, and we're mutually impacting it. So thank you for the, the comment that just brought up those thoughts for me, David. And to follow, if I may follow up on that uh, and then I'll call on Eve, but um uh, there's an old Zen story that Dogen cites many times uh, that very much pertains to this. Um, it has to do with the great uh, ancestor, our great ancestor Yaoshan, who was sitting very solidly and and uh, steadfastly, as it's translated. And a monk asked him, "What are you thinking about when you're sitting there like that?" And Yaoshan said, "I'm thinking of not thinking." And the monk asked, the very good monk asked, how do you think of not thinking? And, and then um, Yashan gave a response, which is often translated as non-thinking, which I, I, I find not help, a helpful translation. 
I went to Japan for two years to translate Dogen with Shohaku Okamura because he translated it as beyond thinking. So beyond thinking is a kind of awareness. And it's something we all experience in Zazen, or we can experience. It's awareness, as you were speaking about, Asian, that is um, kind of somatic, physical, but it's not about thinking about something else. It's just, here we are. I hear sounds. I feel sensations in my body and so forth. Uh, that's a kind of awareness. That's a kind of consciousness. It's beyond thinking. So anyway, I just, your, your, what you said, Asian, reminded me of that story. Thank you. Thank you. It just, I agree completely. So, uh, Eve, and then Emily. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Tygen, are you familiar with Gregory Bateson's essay, Form, Substance, and Difference? I'm not, I've read some of his work and I actually sat with his body because he died at San Francisco Zen Center and some of us sat uh, after he died with his body and I, his uh, wife at the time uh, helped found the, the Chapel Hill, North Carolina Zendo. So I have a relationship to him and I've read some of his book books. Uh, Mind and Nature, is that one of them? Um, yeah, that's after steps, but form, substance and difference was given as a I think the 19th Memorial Korzybski lecture, and it was um, pr- published in um, for the first time in Steps, which came out in 72. But anyway, um, he makes the argument in there about the difference between the imminent God and the transcendent God. Um, oh. The transcendent God, you know, being, well, but the thing is, both of them are actually in the, you know, in the Old Testament, but the predominant image, you know, in Western thought has been the transcendent God, the God that's outside of his creation. And that is a he. (laughs) Um, And that does have to do with all the things you were talking about, about, um, uh, you you know, even still stewardship, but, but, um, you know, that, that idea of control and, and Bateson links it with uh, the imminent versus transcendent, you know, notions of, of deity as, um, uh, you, you know, being connected with the way we think about mind and mental process and whether we see, you know, the whole cosmos as as part of mind or, or you know, that, that mind is something, an emergent property that comes out of the interrelationships of all things. Um, I mean, you know, I, I didn't need mushrooms. I mean, I, I read that essay when I was 15 and it did rewire my brain. Um, and it was a conversion experience. I knew it at the time. I mean, that it was a conversion experience. I think I didn't know exactly what I was converting to, um, but it, it certainly did, you know, in later life, make me more receptive to, to Buddhism. Um, and I don't think it was an accident that, you know, that, that Gregory chose to die at the, the Zen Center. Um, but one, um, yeah, I mean, I just read you a couple sentences. So one of the things that that um, he says in form, substance, and difference is that as you arrogate all mind to yourself, you will see the world around you as mindless and therefore not entitled to moral or ethical consideration. The environment will seem to be yours to exploit. 
Your survival unit will be you and your folks or conspecifics against the environment of other social units, other races, and the brutes and vegetables. If this is your estimate of your relation to nature and you have an advanced technology, your likelihood of survival will be that of a snowball in hell. You will die either of the toxic byproducts of your own hate or simply of overpopulation and overgrazing. The raw materials of the world are finite. Yes, thank you. And I, I could also mention that um, one of my teachers, Baker Roshi, brought Gregory Bateson into a session on the last day of session, and he actually sat in the zendo and spoke to us. So, yeah, he was part of San Francisco Zen Center in a way. Uh, but that whole thing about imminence and transcendence, this is a, a basic category in religious studies, imminence, I-M-M-A-N, uh, that think that, so in transcendence is that spiritual realization, divinity is up there, you know, and that's, you know, we have to transcend our uh, phenomenal world in our in our physical life to to become spiritual, uh, and that's the major mode in in um, not the only mode, but that's the major mode in uh, Abrahamic religions. Um, but it's that, not the only mode, I right? Mean, I, yes, I know. Yes, yeah, yeah. The Shekhinah is you know. Yes, absolutely. Yes, Shekhinah is a good example. And God, yeah. There, there are, yeah. There is within the Abrahamic tradition both. And there is it within Buddhism too, but I think Buddhism let, tends towards the immanence, yeah, which is absolutely, yeah. which is gra- groundedness, and and that, and that's the tradition of indigenous people around the world of shamanic religion that is based on the ground, the earth, and and us being part of the earth as I've been talking about as we've all been talking about today. So yeah, that that polarity is worth noting. Uh, so thank you very much, Eve. Uh, and and uh, thanks for the Star Trek reference. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, and 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 Leonard Leonard Nimoy was 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 interested in the Shekhinah, you know, as a sort of one connection. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, Thank you. Yeah, um, I uh, I want to end somewhat soon, uh, uh, but Emily and Paul have their hands up. Emily first. Yeah, Paul. I'm not. If your comment pertains to that, mine is a bit different. If you want to go first, Paul, please go ahead. I, I, I'm I'm off on a different track. Um, well, uh, Tegan, thank you so much for your for your talk. Um, one of the things that you you mentioned uh, my octopus teacher as well, and that um, you know I I really enjoyed that film a lot, and I think the 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 moment that I connected to it, I think most intensely was my was to do with like my emotional reaction to the moment where the octopus reaches out and like touches him for the first time. And then later in the film, you see the octopus just like wrapped around his chest. Um, They're very much like, uh, like almost one, one creature. They've spent so much time together. Um, And so um, my, my question, you know, Asian brought up the, the topic of kind of our body's intelligence um, that we are sometimes not aware of. And I, 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 I was thinking about how perhaps another part of that is our, our emotional intelligence, which we don't aren't always completely aware of 
how we're emotionally reacting to things or, or how that's influencing our behavior. But I'm, I'm really curious um, just how you feel that um, kind of our, the role of our emotions plays in our, our relationship, our understanding of, of, um, of how we fit into the natural world and, and um, things like that. Since, you know, emotion we, is another thing that we dualistically see often as a human thing. Um, even though there's clear evidence of emotion in other animals, but we do see it as a very human thing. And I think it has a profound role in our relationship with, you know, how, how we treasure or value different things in the natural world and and, um, preserve them or don't preserve them. So I I was just curious. um, Yeah. If, if you had any, anything on that subject. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, to use another word, we're, we're very anthropocentric about how we see the world. We think of humans as, even if we think of, think of stewardship, we still think of humans as, you know, the superior beings. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, emotional intelligence is a big, big part of, practically, of Zazen practice, how we come to... Um, for example, the precept of not harboring ill will, how we, how we come to realize, uh, look at, be aware of uh, the emotions when anger arises and transform those into something constructive rather than holding on to them and turning them into hate uh, or ill will. Uh, so ha- working with different problem- pro- problematic emotions is a huge part of the long-term development that changes our brains, as you were saying, in um, in zazen practice. And yes, emotion. Um, I I don't know if we found a way yet to um, to measure or or um, well, actually, we have in terms of. Uh, I was going to say that we don't know about plants' emotions, but uh, there was a study way back. Uh, this was. 1970 or in the late 1960s, a guy I met had been studying uh, plants' responses. And when a, when, a, when a plant was, when a tree was cut down, there was screaming. Not that we could hear it, but uh, plants do have responses. We might call them emotional to uh, damage. Um, and we don't know so much about uh, plants' emotions yet, uh, as far as I know, but uh, that's there. Clearly, uh, the octopus in that wonderful movie, My Octopus Teacher, yes, he had this very deep emotional relationship to the narrator who was the diver who went down and formed a re- an emotional relationship with this octopus. It's, yes, very touching. And I know I have cats who sometimes appear on my Zoom screen and, uh, you know, they have emotions, <laughs> definitely. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if we think we're the only beings with intelligence or emotions, we that's how we're destroying the world. And and then, you know, the fossil fuel uh, executives can feel like it's okay to just, you know, they knew in the 70s that, that fossil fuels would lead to climate damage and, you know, but they were making a lot of money, so they let it go. Uh, we have to see that, uh, you know, we, we say... 
beings are numberless, I got to free them. We talk about all beings. This is very much part of Buddhist discourse. And yeah, uh, how come we think we're better than all beings? <laughs> That's really arrogant. So thank you very much for your comments, Emily. Uh, Paul, you were next. Um, this is a wonderful discussion, and people seem to be quite quite united in their feeling that that we are um, up to, linked together and and stewards of and should be stewards of our environment. But on the same time, we live in this world that's quite that forces us into other patterns. And the shamanic people didn't have a refrigerator to go to it open up and uh, take out a piece of uh, of fragile vegetable or, 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 or meat that would spoil easily. They had to like ferment it and use, use, um, use the, 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 the world of mushrooms to help, help preserve it. And, and they had, and they had to know exactly when this tree was going to bear fruit. And they had to be very, very conscious of that tree. So they knew when that was going to happen. They had to know when there various things. They had to know when they had to be very aware of their environment which we have no need to do whatsoever. We buy a piece of fruit, it comes from Chile. You know, it, it's, we, have, we have such vast opportunities to transgress the whole, the whole interaction of the world. And so the question for me is, how, how do we deal with this in our everyday life? How do we deal with it? In my, in my business world, I'm trying to establish a circular economies with various different crafts. But also just how do you, how do you live your everyday life in a way in which is it all wrapped up in things in plastic or, or driving, driving to the store for, a, for you know, a sugar hit when you feel the, the urge? Or um, None of these things are bad necessarily, and, they, and they're, all, they're all part of what we are induced to do by the, 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 the advertising and the, and the pressure of society. Um, it's very hard to go against the pressure of society to not to not, you know, not to participate fully is, 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 is somewhat shameful. So how do we, how do we individually, uh, this is a question that I, that I have no answer for, but I'm constantly thinking about how do we, how do we deal with this, this, this many ways corrupted world? Um, how do we, how do we deal with that in a way that makes, doesn't make us crazy and that helps all sentient beings and that, um, um has 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 some some effect on on the future the future of the planet anyway i i don't i'd like to say i don't i have my own set my own little set of answers that i do but i don't but it's a much bigger much bigger story and i and i don't know how we get out from under this because we're all so totally tied into the system that it would be very difficult to extract ourselves from it um Anyway, uh, it's 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 easier for me at my age, and 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 I have my own little environment, so I can I can do things pretty much as I want. But not everybody has that privilege. Everybody, most people have to like figure out how to make a living and how to how to uh, not alienate their neighbors and how to uh, uh, gain some recognition in the world and how to how to be part of the environment. But at the same time, the environment is drawing us, is sucking us down into this, into this, 
into this realm of, of mass extinction and 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 air air and water air and water pollution and chemical pollution and anyway it's 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 a question I const- I think of constantly and um, um, I would be very interested if anybody has any helpful suggestions. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, I just want to say that being aware of these questions is very important. I don't think, you know, there, uh, I don't think, well, there may be many answers, but, um, uh, but we don't have, we don't have the answer in a way, but I think uh, awareness of the question, awareness of the issues and how it um, applies to our own life and to our world is really important. I think awareness itself is transformative. So the more we can, share this awareness of this deep interconnectedness, the, you know, uh, the, the more we have a chance. Uh, I'm going to give Mac uh, has his hand up and maybe uh, that'll be the last word because uh, we're getting near time, but Mac, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Eve, uh, Eve, Eve invited me this morning and she's my uh, dissertation chair at <laughs> University of Illinois, Chicago. And, this actually topic is is uh, some of the stuff we were just talking about that I'm, I'm writing a dissertation on. But um, I live here in New Orleans, and I, I posted in the chat earlier, I, I grew up in West Virginia. A fellow named Peter Tompkins, I believe, was one of the authors of the books you were referencing uh, about doing research on the plants on plants in the 70s. And he had a, um, a biodyna- biodynamic farm called Claymont. Uh, you can probably look it up if you wanted. And they would actually play... Uh, music. They had speakers lining the fields. And then I think the research advanced where they realized plants respond are responding to like different vibrations that are affecting them and influencing them and stuff like that. Um, so that, that was kind of cool. I wanted to comment on that, but I also was, um, I think responding to what, I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the prior person's name who was speaking about adaptation and, and stuff. And I think just reminded me in, in, in my own sitting group here in New Orleans, I've seen how people, even people who worked for the fossil fuel industry here as part of joining the um, sitting group uh, had got the awareness that their livelihood was not aligned with their values anymore. And they've left that, left those roles or seeing how people stop eating meat when they become aware, um, I think it's just, I, I love the pragmatism of the last comments of, of where the, where, do, where does the rubber meet the road for this, for all of us. And, um, given that I'm researching a lot of this, actually, I think like, this is it. It's, it's not, uh, going to come from the top down anywhere. It's, it's individuals that are self-organizing into small communities that I think are, uh, branching out and upwards and, we're doing a lot of adaptation to climate here in New Orleans, where our actual environment itself is degrading underneath our feet. And, um, or a recent trip to the smoky air of Salt Lake city and, and just the adaptation. It's, it's, um, not the interesting time that, that I was hoping to live in in that way, but it, it is, um, it is it. And, and, you know, I think that that these climate changes are helping us all, helping the broader public, maybe who wouldn't realize how connected we are to the biosphere. So, 
thanks for letting me comment. Mac, thank you very much. Um, welcome. Uh, please come again to Ancient Dragons Endgate events. Uh, check our schedule. Um, you're very welcome. Um, and I appreciate everything you said. And yeah, uh, we all can make a difference in whatever ways we we uh, respond to these questions and problems. And um, and yes, I think the change does come from the bottom up, not from politicians um, or whomever. Uh, so um, thank you all very much. Um, we're, we will have a closing chance soon. Uh, thank you, Emily, for that. I just wanted to repeat the announcement that I made in the beginning. Uh, some of you know and some of you have signed up. I'm doing a seminar from 1 to 4.30 on uh, Dogen, the founder of Soto Zen in the, in the 1200s, and his environment, some of his environmental teachings and how he links them to faith practices, which you know may, may not be the answer to the questions that Paul and Mac were asking, but is part of a response at, at, at any rate. But even in the 1200s, Dogen was thinking about this. So, uh, um, And as I said at the beginning, uh, it was announced that one had to sign up uh, by yesterday, Saturday. But I'm now extending that for any of the people here. You're welcome to uh, go to the website and sign up for the this afternoon's seminar. So thank you all very much. Thank you all for considering these questions and um awareness. And um, Emily, would you please uh, join us, um, uh, help us with this chanting? Yes. Um, today we will be chanting the repentance verse three times, followed by the Ehe Kosu Hotsuganmon and the well-being dedication. I'll share my screen. And meet everybody. All my ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Ehe kosu we vow together with all beings from this life on throughout numerous lifetimes not to fail to hear the true Dharma. Hearing this, we will not be skeptical and will not be without faith. Directly upon encountering the true Dharma, we will abandon mundane affairs and uphold and maintain the Buddha Dharma. And finally, together with the great earth and all animate beings, we will accomplish the way. Although our previous evil karma has greatly accumulated, producing causes, conditions that obstruct the way, may the Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and liberate us from our karmic entanglements, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. <laughs> <laughs> 
May the merit and virtue of their Dharma gate fill and refresh the inexhaustible Dharma realm so that they share with us their compassion. Ancient Buddhas and ancestors were as we. We shall come to be Buddhas and ancestors. Venerating Buddhas and ancestors, we are one with Buddhas and ancestors. Contemplating awakened mind, we are one with awakened mind. Compassionately admitting seven and accomplishing eight, obtains advantage and lets go of advantage. Accordingly, Longya said, what in past lives was not yet complete, now must be complete. In this life, save the body coming from accumulated lives. Before enlightenment and ancient Buddhas were the same as we. After enlightenment, we will be exactly as those ancient ones. Quietly studying and mastering these causes and conditions, one is fully informed by the verified Buddhas. With this kind of repentance certainly will come the inconceivable guidance of Buddha ancestors. Confessing to Buddha with mindful heart and dignified body, the strength of this confession will eradicate the roots of wrongdoing. This is the one color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the Ehe Kosu Hotsuganmon. We dedicate this merit to our first ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Mahaprajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Ehe Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shinryu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. Gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time. All honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, maha prajna paramita.